All right, you guys go ahead and have a seat. And uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and let's open them up. We're going to be in the first book of the Bible, and that is the book of Genesis. We're going to be in chapter 1 as well as in chapter 2. If you need a Bible, one of our uh, good folks is going to be walking down the aisle in just a second. Um, actually, we've got Josh right here. Josh, if you need a Bible, you just raise your hand. Josh will get one to you. You are welcome to keep that. You can take that with you. You can give it to a friend that you may know that needs one. Or if you don't need to keep it or give it away right now, you can just drop that off at the next step table as you leave uh, today. Genesis chapter 1 as well as in chapter 2 is where we're going to be uh, today. So when we open God's word, what does God do? He speaks. So we're going to listen to what he has to say to us. So as you make your way to Genesis 1 as well as in Genesis chapter 2, I want to remind you of something specific that's taking place this week. On Thursday uh, night at 6.30, uh, there will be a ladies' night out at the Gratis Gate Community Center. It's about 10 minutes, maybe 15 tops from here. And we want to encourage you ladies uh, to be there. It's going to be a great event. My wife, Lisa, is going to be sharing her story of adoption and then reconciliation with her birth mother. Uh, it'll be from 6.30 until 8 o'clock. I uh, want to encourage you to go. It's in partnership with Gratis Church. My friend Mike Peavy and his wife, uh, Angie, Mike's the pastor there, and Lisa and Angie have worked together to uh, put this on, and it's going to be over at the Gratis Gate Community Center. It's going to be a great event. You can register online. You can go to our Statham Church website. You can go to our registration links, and you can make your RSVP there. So I want to encourage you uh, to be there for that. All right. So let's get into God's Word and what God wants to speak to us today. We're going to be talking about relationships. We're in our third part of our home teaching series, and today we're talking about a beautiful collision. We're talking about a beautiful collision. See, relationships, they are, one, inescapable, and two, they are incredibly powerful. Now, in all relationships, there's two things that come to a collision. Those two things are sin and God's grace. Sin is, all, is always getting in the way of what grace can do, but here's what grace does. Grace always covers our sin and what it causes. It is an incredibly beautiful collision. Now, our vertical relationship with God is foundational to everything that the Bible says about our relationships. For example, if when I learn to love God more than my wife, I will love her better than I do right now. But if I learn to love my wife at the expense of God and instead of God, I'm going to be moving to a place where I will no longer be loving my wife. When my love for God is primary, here's the, here's the point that I'm trying to make here. When my love for God is primary, the secondary things are not decreased, but rather they are increased. The truth is, though, is that we all have a tendency to reverse that order. We all have that tendency to put the second things first and the first things second. And that's why we, are going, that's why we struggle with letting go of hurts. That's why we struggle with harboring anger towards others who complicate our lives. That's why we struggle with becoming defensive when we're challenged. 
That's why we struggle with avoiding conflict because of fear. We're settling for broken relationships when they could be restored. That's why we struggle with gossip. That's why we struggle with lying because we fear of what others may think about us. That's why we struggle with compromising convictions and beliefs in order to win the approval of other people. That's why we struggle with doubting God when our relationships are messy. That's why we struggle with envying other people. It's why we struggle with blowing up at others when our agendas are being trampled. It's why we struggle with others in living in isolation because you fear disappointment. And that list, y'all, could go on and on and on. The life that we live is a beautiful collision of our messed up lives and God's immeasurable grace. And through the lens of God's grace, the Bible gives us specific truth to employ in our relationships, especially at home. Especially at home. And as those truths are put into practice at home, they are then incorporated into our relationships with our teammates, our coworkers, our friends, our extended family. Those extended relationships that we have are impacted because of the truths that we are applying at home. Because home is that laboratory of God's grace. So what we're going to do is we're going to go back to the original first family. We're going to go back to the beginning of time with that original first family, and we're going to see God's original design for relationships. So follow along with me here. We're going to be in, first, in, in Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 27. And we're going to read verse 27 and 28. Then we're going to skip over to read chapter 2. Verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then in chapter 2, starting in verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. No shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man that he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there, it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the, is the Pishon. 
it winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth is the river Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and then put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all of the wild animals and the birds of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all of the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all of the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, a little bit of sp- spiritual, divine anesthesia. Put him in a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and his mother and then is united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. And Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Before we really get into it, let me point something out real quick. If you take a look at all other creation... Man was formed out of the dust. The animals out of the dust. From the ground. God spoke things into existence. Woman is uniquely designed. She's the only one that was created out of man. Not anything else is like that. Women, you are uniquely designed to be who you are. And God designed you like that. That is special. Men, God designed you. He spoke you into existence. And that is special. And the relationship that God established between man and woman is beautiful. It is a relationship that is based on grace It is a relationship that pictures God's love and his relationship with the Son and the Holy Spirit. It truly is, when we're talking about relationships being powerful and inescapable, it truly is a beautiful collision. Now, these truths that we're going to point out today, that we're going to flesh out, no pun intended, okay, these truths, I want, you to, I want you to write these down. 
Because these are going to be truths that you can apply in your own relationships at home, as well as in your relationships with your friends, your colleagues, your teammates, everyone. You can apply these relationships. You can apply these truths. So the first truth is this. Number one, that you are made for relationships. You're made for it. God designed you specifically for relationship. When you see where the Bible says, where God says, it is not good for man to be alone, okay? That truth has more to do with God's design for humanity than specifically for Adam's immediate need. That is a picture of humanity. That's the design that God has. You see, we are created to be relational beings because God is a relational God. When you take a look at the character and the image of God, God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. He lives in community within the Trinity. And being that we are created in His image, relationships are a core component of who God designed you to be. Matter of fact, relationships are so important that he brought Eve into the picture so that she and Adam could experience community together, together with God, and together in the presence of God. That is a beautiful picture of holy matrimony. Now, consider how God characterized the first woman. Consider how he characterized her. When he said in verse 18 of chapter 2, he says, I will make a helper suitable for him. The term helper is where we get our word companion. Helper is that term to describe a companion, not just simply, simply a fellow laborer or a slave No, helper is a companion, and that description gives us a clear picture of God's relationship to us. The Bible says in Psalm 46.1 that the Lord is our help. He is our help, and he brings things to the relationship that are impossible for us to bring ourselves. So you and I are made for relationships. That first relationship being that holy matrimony. But we're also made for relationships with each other. Which brings us to truth number two. Truth number two is this. Is that all relationships are less than perfect. They are less than perfect. If our relationships are going to thrive, if they're going to thrive, it's going to take work. You see, in Genesis 2, You see the establishment of the home. You see the creation of the first family. You see the innocent intimacy between man and wife. But in Genesis 3, things get really, really messy. Things really get jacked up when we get into Genesis chapter 3. You see, because sin enters into the world, and with it, it brings frustration and confusion to the relationships. Look what happened after sin. When you take a look at at Genesis chapter 3, okay? When you take a look in Genesis chapter 3 and you dig a little deeper, here's what happens here. 
the man and the woman begin to engage in accusations and blaming with one another. In verse 12 of chapter 3, listen. The man said to God, the woman that you put me here with, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree and I ate. Now, pick that verse apart just a little bit. So here's God. Sin comes into the world. He begins to look for Adam and Eve. Where are you? He's looking for them. Where are you? They present themselves. And then the first thing that Adam says, the woman you put me here with. Not the woman you gave me. Not the woman that you blessed me with. Not the gift that she is in my life. The woman that you put me here with, God, she gave me the fruit and I ate it. The woman basically said, hey, the devil made me do it. Now look, Adam was definitely not happy about this and his, because he was, he was caught. Okay, He was caught. And he was not happy. And in his own words, he's not simply blaming the woman. Listen, he's blaming God. He's blaming God for the condition that he is in. Why did you put me with this woman? Why did you, why did you do this, Lord? Okay, so in this particular narrative, we go from woe man to oh man. That's what we go to. That's what happened with Adam. We go from this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, to I don't want this woman. She's a screw up. But in Genesis 4, it gets even worse. When you have Cain that kills his own brother over a sacrifice to the Lord. So we bring murder into the picture with the very first family. Sin screwed everything up. It made life messy. And our relationships are messy because our struggle with sin is constantly revealed in them. It's constant. If God created marriage, let's go back for just a second. If God created marriage and he designed us for a relationship, then the enemy, the devil, is always going to be attacking God's design. And if you are involved in God's design, that means that our enemy, the devil, is going to be attacking you, your relationships. It's going to happen. It can happen in an organization, like a church. It can happen in a family relationship between a husband and wife. It can happen between parents and children. It can happen between children it can happen between brothers, sisters. It can happen between your teammates. It can happen between your coworkers. It can happen anywhere, anytime, because sin is prevalent. It's prevalent. And it jacks up the relationship because the devil is always going to be attacking God's design. Today, what does that look like? What does that look like? How does that attack happen? Well, today, our enemy has created an escape hatch from this sin problem. It's not a good escape hatch, and I don't recommend this. The Bible certainly doesn't recommend it. But it's an escape hatch that the devil has presented to everyone. And we all know what we're, what we're talking about here, okay? 
It's known as the permissive movement. Its motto is, if it feels good, do it. Or, better yet, I was born this way, so it must be right. Fifty years ago, homosexual behavior was illegal. Today, same-sex marriage is legal nationwide and gloriously celebrated. Divorce is way too easy. Cohabitation is culturally accepted. Abortion is simply a choice. Gender is something that is decided not by biology, but by you, by the person, regardless of what the birth certificate says. God forbid that somebody comes into a waiting room screaming, it's a boy or it's a girl. No, today's culture says that we have to wait until they grow up and then they decide what gender they are. Mankind was formed in God's image. And he created us male and female, wonderfully and fearfully, in order to glorify him. And when you claim that there is no sin, and when you claim that there is no existence of God, then everything becomes permissible and truth becomes a moving target. In other words, truth is something that is now relative instead of absolute. You see, saying I was born this way, it's like saying that I was born to be an addict. Therefore, I'm going to drink, do drugs, and I'm going to gorge myself on food no matter what anybody else thinks. Saying I was born this way was like saying I was born to be a murderer. Therefore, I'm going to go out and I'm going to kill whomever, whenever, and wherever that I want without regard to the law. Saying that I was born this way was saying that I was born to be an adulterer. Therefore, I'm going to go out and I'm going to go cheat on my wife. I could care less about what she thinks or about what anybody else thinks, my children included. Saying that I was born this way is a statement that justifies an action, an attitude, and or an addiction that does not bring God glory. Now, I realize that for all of us in this room today, I realize I'm probably preaching to the choir. So why do I bring that up? Here's why. I bring that up because I want all of us to understand that our enemy is always at work to destroy the family relationships that God established. And that we should be ever mindful and prayerful that when things begin to break down in the home, God's grace collides and it overcomes our sin and the sin of those in our family or in our lives. God's grace, it's a beautiful collision. Which brings me to point to truth number three. Number three, God keeps us in messy relationships for his redemptive purpose. What? Think about that. Have you ever questioned why God doesn't just make your relationships better overnight? I mean, relationships should be easy, right? They should be absolutely easy. Personal story, personal testimony here. 
It was not until I captured the grace of God, better yet, the grace of God captured me, that I began to see that my relationships with my family, my friends, and my colleagues, it was not until the grace of God captured me and my soul that I began to see those relationships as agents that God used to temper me and to help me understand His grace that's at work in my life. In their book, Relationships, A Mess Worth Making, Thomas Lane and Paul Tripp, if you've never seen that book or heard of those guys, I would encourage you to get that book. It's a good book. Relationships, A Mess Worth Making. Thomas Lane and Paul Tripp said this, What happens in the messiness of relationships is that our hearts are revealed, our weaknesses are exposed, and we start coming to the end of ourselves. And then they continue on. They said, listen, weak and needy people finding their hope in Christ's grace are what mark a mature relationship. That's where the mark of a mature relationship is going to be founded on, is that of Christ's grace, God's compassion, God's gentleness, God's sacrifice, God's patience, God's faithfulness, God's goodness. All of those things, get this, all of those things, his compassion, his gentleness, his sacrifice, his patience, his faithfulness, his goodness, all of those things are demonstrations of his grace in my life, and he wants me to now employ them in my relationships with others, whether if it is with my wife, my children, my church family, the people that I am with day in and day out. Do I get angry? Absolutely. Do I get frustrated? Yes. Do I get hurt? Yes. Do I want to retaliate? You bet. But God's grace is greater than my sin and the one who sins against me combined. Therefore, my response has got to be exactly it should be exactly what God's response is. Remember what, I said, remember what we talked about a couple weeks ago? Ephesians 5, verse 1 and 2. Follow God's example. Proverbs 19, 11 says, It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Now, that doesn't mean that you enable or you condone inappropriate behavior or that you just totally ignore it. That, does n that is not what this is saying. What Proverbs 19.11 is saying is that it is simply means that you handle the situation in the same manner as God would. And he handles it like a father who has compassion on his children. We handle it with gentleness, compassion, patience, not treating others as their sins deserve. It's a beautiful collision of grace, this life that we live. Our messed up lives and God's immeasurable grace intersect at the very core of who we are and our relationships. Now I want you to watch this for just a second. Get this. When you look into chapter 3 of Genesis, you, you hear the story of the fall. 
You see the story of the fall. You hear and you feel the hurt, the pain, the brokenness. You see God taking leaves, fig leaves, and then covering the man and the woman because now there's shame, now there's death, now there's, now there's messiness in the, in the relationship. But you see, Adam's responsibility, his, one of his first responsibilities was to name the creatures of the field and and to bird the birds of the air and the fish of the sea that was part of his first responsibility but watch this see the woman's decision to eat and adam's too it brings sin into the world and therefore death to all mankind there's frustration there's confusion the relationships are now messy but when adam named eve he did it after she sinned he did it after things were jacked up. He did it after mess was brought into the world. He did it after death was now prevalent. But rather than name her based on what she did, he named her based on who she was. See, Eve's name means the mother of all of the living. Her identity was to be the mother of all mankind. She was not named as the one who brought death to all mankind. No, she was the name, she was the one who was named to bring life to all mankind. What do we take from that? When your identity is in Christ, when your identity is that you are believing that you are created in the image of God, the past no longer dictates your future. And your sin no longer has mastery over you. You're an overcomer. You are an overcomer. So God keeps us in our messy relationships for his redemptive purpose. Truth number four. This is what we're going to wrap up with. The gospel offers hope for our messy relationships. The gospel offers hope for our messy relationships. The shattered relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at the cross provides a basis for our reconciliation. Shattered relationship? Yeah, shattered, broken. There's not another relationship in the world Yours, mine, anybody's. There's not another relationship in the world that has suffered more than what Father, Son, and Holy Spirit suffered when Jesus hung on the cross and cried out, God, why have you forsaken me? No other relationship. Have you experienced loss? Yes, you have. Have I? Yes. We've been hurt, yes. 
There's not another relationship that has experienced more loss than what Father, Son, and Holy Spirit suffered. When God's only Son, His perfect and only Son, cried out to Him in the darkness, completely alone. God turned His back on His only Son because God could not stand to look at sin. Couldn't stand it. Because the Bible says that Jesus, He who knew no sin, became sin for us and then nailed it to a cross. And when He became sin, God unleashed His wrath on sin. It just happened to be that it was His Son that was carrying it. And it broke the relationship. It shattered the relationship. And because of that, the gospel offers hope for our messy relationships. You see, Jesus was willing to be rejected, the rejected son, so that you and your family could know reconciliation. Jesus was willing to become the forsaken friend so that you could have loving friendships. Jesus was willing to be the rejected Lord so that we could live in submission to one another. Remember what we talked about last week? Out of reverence for Christ, we're to submit to each other. Jesus was willing to be the forsaken brother so that we could have godly relationships. Jesus was willing to be the crucified king so that our communities could experience peace. Jesus' death reconciled us to God and now serves as the foundation that reconciles us to each other and it brings peace. This life we live is a beautiful collision of our messed up lives and God's immeasurable grace. Would you pray with me, please? Let's pray together. Today, you have just collided with God's immeasurable grace. You've just collided with that. So what are you supposed to do now? What are you supposed to do? First of all, maybe there's somebody here that does not have a personal relationship with Jesus. And the first thing that you must do, that I want to encourage you to do, is to believe on the Lord Jesus, acknowledging Him as the Lord of your life, and receiving the forgiveness of sin because of His grace that is at work in you. Believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus. Secondly, some of you have been beating yourself up. You've been beating yourself up over and over and over again. Maybe because you feel like a failure. Maybe because you feel that things are, have not gone your way in your lifetime. And you question 
whether or not God even loves you. Can I just tell you that that right there is not a thought that God puts in your heart and in your mind. That is purely from the enemy who wants to create doubt and fear in your mind and in your heart so that you will stay at a distance from knowing God. What God desires in your life is for you to experience the grace and the peace that comes directly from Him. And that, my friend, takes time and it takes a deep faith that says, God, I believe and I'm going to follow you. And these things that are in my heart and in my mind, as the Scripture says, I'm going to take every thought captive and I'm going to make it a prisoner for the Lord Jesus Christ. Those thoughts of fear and insecurity and doubts, that's not from God. So receive God's grace. Stop beating yourself up. Number three, apply God's grace to your relationships, especially at home. You've got little eyes and ears that watch you. Maybe your children are maybe grown. Maybe even they're out of the home. Listen, they still need, your, they still need God's grace. They still need it. Your children need to see an example of God's grace because that example of God's grace for them helps them to live lives filled with with grace as they grow older. So apply God's grace, recognizing that God's grace is greater than your sin, your child's sin, your wife's sin, everybody's sin combined, and that He does not treat you as your sins deserve, and apply that same principle to your children. So apply God's grace. Believe, receive it, apply it. If you need to speak with someone after today, if you need prayer, if you need someone to just love you and encourage you, I want to encourage you to, as you leave today, or maybe you can fill that out on your next steps card and turn that into the offering basket. We'll, we want to follow up with you and help you take those next steps in your journey in your relationships with other people father i thank you for today thank you for your presence in this place thank you for the homes that you've blessed us with thank you for the messiness that we are continually in because they really help us to understand and know your redemptive purpose and plan for our lives God, we love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.